Namocharana Mahatmyam Harer Pasyat Putrakaha Aljamilo Bienanda Mirti Pasha My dear servants who are as good as my sons, just see how glorious is the chanting of the holy name of the Lord. The greatly sinful Ajamala chanted only to call his son, not knowing that he was chanting the Lord's holy name. Nevertheless, by chanting the holy name of the Lord, he remembered Narayana, and thus he was immediately saved from the rose of death. So the young Judas had a conversation with the Vishnu Judas. What is religion? And that was one of the questions they asked Yamara. Who's God? Who are those people? And what is religion? And Yamaraj just said, Religion is very hard to understand. Even many of the demigods don't know it. Real religion is given by the Lord. Okay, anybody remember our little homework assignment? The first line of that verse in Sanskrit. Very good. Dharma Tushakshad Bhagavad Purita. And who knows this Dharma? Anybody remember that verse from our other homework assignment? Swainbu. Narada. Next one. Shambhu. Not yet. Kumara. Kapila. Kapila, now. Manu. Prahlad, good. Janika. The Murthy speaking. Uh huh, I see, okay. Prahlad, I'm telling you, a very special deity worship here. Prahlad. Janika, next one. Bishma. Yeah, Marcia's a lot of last one. That's the last one. Balim. <coughs> this one's a little hard. Vyasakir. Oh, that's Sukadeva's one. So Balim, Vyasakir, Vayam. So those are the people who know. And what do they know? They know that Dharma is Bhakti Yoga. It's chanting the holy name. Uh, here's the proof. My dear servants, my dear sons, he's calling them. They're not literally his sons. Yamaraj did not give, he did not father the Yamadutas. My dear sons, he has some affection for them. Here's the proof of what I'm saying. Here's an example. Just look. You thought Ajamila was sinful. You took out your ropes. Pasha. Pasha, the ropes of death. You were going to pull him by the ropes of death. But he said, Narayana, so in 1975, uh, I was in Philadelphia for the Rath Yatra, and uh, that was when I got Gayatri Mantra from Prabhupada. And that morning, the lecture Prabhupada gave uh, was on this section of the Bhagavatam, but it hadn't been printed yet. So they were reading from the uh, manuscript, from the transcripts. And Prabhupada would have a disciple read the verse in purport. He wouldn't read it himself, generally. So the devotee read from the unpublished manuscript that Ajamila was crying out three times loudly, Narayana, Narayana, Narayana. Prabhupada stopped him. And he says, 
What is this three times? He said, I have not said it three times. Why is it said three times? He says, once is sufficient. So one time, and as Prabhupada's added here into the translation, it wasn't in the, in the Sanskrit, that he didn't even intend to call Narayana. He intended to call his son, but then he remembered Narayana. So this is the example. And just from that, he got saved. He didn't even die at that time. He got a chance to perfect his bhakti yoga. And eventually he went to Vaikuntha. So therefore, Prabhupada says in the purport, so what to speak of people who are chanting Hare Krishna all the time. So this is example is better than precept. If you give some idea, yes, chanting Hare Krishna is the height of dharma, chanting the holy name of the Lord, bhakti yoga, especially chanting. You can say that, but if you say, here's a person In our Back to Godhead magazine, our most popular articles are about people. How people come to Krishna consciousness. So I have a couple of websites, and on one of my websites, the most popular articles are stories about people interacting with the Lord. Two most popular things people look at on my website. I mean, just hundreds of times more than anything else are the stories of the deity of Nisingadev in Mayapur interacting with the devotees and the story of one Russian lady who just happens also to be about Nisingadev who became a devotee of Nisingadev. And people want to hear these stories much more than they want to hear a philosophical idea. And especially if it's a story about somebody they know or somebody today, like here, Yamaraj is giving them an example to the Yamadudas. Here's somebody you know. <laughs> you just met him. There, there's the example. See for yourself. Rupa Goswami in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, for each of the 64 Angas of Bhakti, he gives evidence from the scriptures. And many times he also gives an example of a person or people. Here's somebody. They followed the Rathkart. They took the Charnamrita. And they had this result. Ah. Oh. Everybody wants to know that. What's the example? Did it work for anybody? Right? Like if I say to someone, hey, you should try this. They say, did you try it? Did it work for you? <laughs> you know, the, the most powerful form of advertising is word of mouth. Hearing from somebody you know. You know, the, the commercial advertisements try to imitate this. They'll have some famous person who you don't really know, but you feel like you know them. Yeah? And they get on television or now YouTube or whatever. I use this toothpaste and you should too. Look at my pretty teeth. And you think, oh, I, I know this actor. I've seen this actor in so many films. Ah, of course, it's all false. 
but this concept, or they have just some ordinary person. I'm an ordinary housewife, just like you. And I use this, and people, that's much more convincing than if they say, here's the scientific evidence, and here's the, like Robert said, you don't need to do research. Look at the example. So we're all one of them. You know, nowadays when you buy products on the internet, we look at the reviews, right? What did other people say? Did they use it? Did they like it? Did they not like it? Did it work for them? These examples give us hope. Oh, if a janula could become liberated by chanting. He was a good devotee when he was young and then he had so many problems. But still, he achieved perfection. Oh, then maybe I can do it. I get some hope. I mean, I personally found the examples in Chaitanya Charitamrita more relevant for me than in the Bhagavatam. I remember when, you know, when I first joined ISKCON and I was reading the Bhagavatam, and one of the things I would think was, well, I, these people seem so different from me. They're living on other planets, and, you know, they can make spaceships that look like cities, and they have birds for children, and I, I just couldn't really... You know, how, how, how did that give me hope? But when I read Chaitanya Charitamrita, you know, probably at one point put translating the Bhagavatam on hold and he switched to Chaitanya Charitamrita. And we used to get the books as soon as they were published. And when I started reading Chaitanya Charitamrita, I felt like I was reading the Iskan Sankirtan newsletter. <laughs> And, and honestly, even more inspiring is the Iskan Sankirtan newsletter. I read about somebody now. Somebody right now in the world. What are they achieving? And it gives me hope. And it also not only does it give us hope and faith, it gives us an example. Oh, that's how you do it. Here's somebody. That's, that's how he did it. That's how she did it. And having so many examples shows us that there's many ways to achieve perfection. Some, one example, uh, just like uh, I didn't bring any copies to class today because I only have four books left and I want to bring them to Croatia. But just like uh, Shivaram Swami wrote this book, Sudabhakti Chintamani, where he brought together I think all, or close to all, of the statements in the Shastra and Aracharyas about Shraddha to Prema, how to go through the process of bhakti. And at the end of that, it's a big, thick book, at the end of that book, he wrote a fictional story about somebody who joins the Hare Krishna movement and eventually achieves Krishna Prema. And... I wrote to him and I said, this is a wonderful story, but it wouldn't be relevant to many people because it's about somebody who lives in an ashram, stays a brahmachari his whole life. I said, you know, what about other situations and other people? And he said, other people will have to write those books, those stories. So that's what I did. I wrote another story about other people who attain to Krishna Prema, different situation. But even fictional stories are inspiring because they give a model 
they may not give hope in the sense that, oh, that's someone I know, or somebody, I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. But it gives a model. Oh, you do it like this. And it gives a model also sometimes for how to deal with mistakes. Ajamu made a mistake. So it gives us even a model for that. There's a scholarly devotee that wrote an academic article about devotees' struggles and failings. I haven't read it yet. It's on. I just got it yesterday. But I read that other people who've read it, they were saying, this is so helpful to see real examples. Here's somebody who struggles with this or struggles with that and how they deal with it and how they go on. So we read these stories of struggles also. Dhruva Maharaj was so insulted, so offended. Ajamila had a fall down. Bharat Maharaj had a fall down. Bhishma fought for the wrong side. Arjuna was lamenting. And we have all these examples in the scriptures of people who had difficulty. That it wasn't just a smooth road. You just come in, you chant Hare Krishna one time, and poof! There's Darshan of the Lord, and you get in your Swarup, and the airplane comes. Imagine that. If everybody, if we go on the Haryam party, and we just say, and everyone says, Hare Krishna! And they go, <laughs> I kind of thought it would be like that, you know, when I joined the movement. I thought it would be, yeah, a month maybe. Maybe. No? So these examples of devotees in the scriptures and the modern day, they give us a model how to perform bhakti how to deal with difficulty, internal difficulty, internal struggles, external struggles. I mean, Srila Prabhupada himself, he's a model of this. He had difficulty with his family, with his business. He had difficulty with the the spiritual organization of which he was a member. Difficulty with money, with health, so many things. So we we get a model And these examples take things from the theoretical to the real. Oh, like that. Therefore we have Sadhu, Shastra, and Guru. Not just not just an idea, but even in the Shastra is full of the examples of devotees. Even the Shastra. The Sadhus themselves in their lives show us how to act. The Guru shows us. Within the Shastra there are so many examples. So this is important for our own faith, for our own hope, for our own understanding, to look at the examples of others. And also even the bad examples of others. Show us what not to do. Yeah? At one time, I I don't want to be too specific because this is being recorded. But... uh, one time I was in a situation where I was my, it was, my life was a little, how do you say, I was in between things. I wasn't quite sure what I should do next. And I met one devotee who had been, I'd been very good friends with her years before, and I met her again. 
And she was also in between things. And I was looking how she was dealing with it. And I thought, no. I don't want to do what she is doing. So sometimes people are model for us what not to do. I saw the decision she was making and I just said, I'm, I'm not going to do, I closed that door just by the example, you understand? You look at someone and you say, uh, no. <laughs> you don't need to do it yourself. You don't need to try it yourself. Of course, sometimes we're so foolish. Somebody eats something and they go, ew! And we say, oh, can I try? And sometimes we're very foolish. But other example can be like that. If somebody's tasting something and suffering, it's like, I don't want to taste that. So for our own inspiration, our own models, for our preaching to others, our teaching to others, example is always better than precept. Whenever we give a precept, we should try to give an example. And of course, we should try to be an example. But at least we should give an example. But you know, the ultimate evidence for us is not a statement in the scripture. It's not logic. It's not philosophy. It's not somebody else's experience. Our ultimate evidence is always our own experience. That's ultimately our own proof. And our own experience is only ultimate proof for ourselves. I can relate my experience to someone else, but they can believe it or not, and it's not going to be completely relevant to them. Therefore, Krishna says, Pratyaksha Vagamam Dharma. Protection. To really understand, and we've been talking the last few verses, how to understand Dharma. We look at the examples of the Mahajanas. We look at the histories, like a Jamila. But ultimately, we have to do it and we have to experience it. There, there's just no substitute, ultimately. And therefore, also, if we're going to give others Krishna consciousness, what we really need to give them is an experience. Not just a philosophy, and not just examples, but arrange for them to have an experience. And that is what we are doing. It should be a holistic experience, that not only do they get a nice experience of kirtan and a nice experience of prasadam, but they also get a nice experience of our being civilized and clean. Now, I was talking to somebody out there. You know, it should be a, whole, a holistic experience. Yeah? So you, you just, wow, what is that? I mean, just like I heard these devotees talk about how they were driving and uh, traveling across America distributing books and they stopped at a petrol station and they were wearing dhotis and tilak. This girl runs out of the station. She says, are you the white fishes? Yes, yes. Do you have any of those little white balls? I got one of them four years ago and I've been thinking about it ever since. 
to give people some experience, something that transformed them. <coughs> when I was uh, in Germany years ago, in Simachalam, for a Pandavasena event, so there was one uh, American man who was touring Europe, and he stopped in the temple, his first time in the Hare Krishna temple. So he was asking all kinds of sociological questions. So myself and other people were talking to him about Varnashram, different things. And on the fourth day, he said, I think I'm going to try chanting. He said, there's some beads I can borrow. And he went off into the woods and he came back after a half an hour. And he said, wow, that should be a controlled substance. You understand what a controlled substance is? like a drug. So he had an experience. People ask, how do we keep our children in Krishna consciousness? Give them positive experiences in Krishna consciousness and don't give them negative ones. If we want, you know, we don't, shouldn't just say to people, stay loyal to ISKCON. Give them a positive experience of ISKCON so they'll want to stay loyal to ISKCON. Not just telling people, you know, you should surrender, but create an atmosphere where people want to surrender, where they get a higher taste. So this is our ultimate preaching. However much we may think about and talk about that we're going to have this, you know, we're going to do this kind of preaching and that kind of preaching, we're going to try this way and that way. Ultimately, what we want to give other people is an opportunity we can't control whether or not they have this or that spiritual experience. But we want to at least give them an opportunity for experiencing a higher taste, part of this fine today. We want them to have that, that opportunity. That's what Shiva Prabhupada did. He arranged the environment such that people were likely to experience Krishna consciousness. Somehow or other. Somehow or other. Because ultimately, that's my evidence. That I've tasted something, I've experienced something by following this process that is different in quality from anything I have ever experienced materially. Like Mahaprabhu said, you know, the taste of this prasadam, you can't explain just by the material elements. What is this taste? It's the taste of God. So I often tell this story. I was in Puerto Rico. I was asked to preach at a university. And one of the devotees had made cookies. Maybe you call them biscuits. So I was, I was cooking in the kitchen. I was cooking the morning offering while she was making these cookies. So I saw how she made them. It was butter, sugar, flour, a little sodium bicarbonate. Maybe she put some vanilla. The most simple recipe. I watched her make them. And we brought them to the university. I never ate one because I was talking to the students and the professors after my lecture. So they were all gone by the time I was finished. I had 40 people come up to me and say, 
what is in those cookies? I want the recipe. So we experience, maybe not every time we take prasadam, but we experience sometimes when you take prasadam, there's something that we cannot explain materially. We experience it in the kirtan, maybe not every kirtan, but sometimes at least in the kirtan. There are so many kinds of musical performances that may be so much better musically. We may be in a kirtan, the singer, the instrument players, they're not, you know, like professional quality. They couldn't perform in a concert hall with people paying 25 euros to go see them. But we experience a happiness, a taste, something that's beyond what we've experienced in the most wonderful music. We read these books and we experience some insight, some understanding that's beyond just you read some ordinary book of philosophy or inspiration or self-improvement, but it's beyond that. And, and anything, you know, we can be doing some simple service. We can be cleaning the floor. I mean, how ecstatic is it to clean a floor? But sometimes you're cleaning a floor and you're just like, wow, I'm cleaning a floor for Krishna. And it's just the most wonderful thing in the world. How does that make any sense, materially speaking? It doesn't. So we have these experiences, maybe not every day, maybe not every time, that tells us, I'm dealing with something different. I'm dealing with something real. I'm dealing with something that's spiritual. And this is our evidence. So this is what we should look for. Philosophical, intellectual conviction, that's good. That's good, it's important. Having some society or some organization and some structure and some program, that's good. But that's not going to be our strength. Our strength is going to be the examples of other people, especially other people we know and trust, and our own direct experience. That is going to be our evidence, that is going to be our faith, that is going to be what keeps us going when things are difficult and things will be difficult. It will not always be easy. And it will be our main means of helping others to become Krishna conscious as well. So I actually ended at 8.40 this morning. Questions, comments, corrections? Additions, subtractions, chastisements. Yes. Um, but you might need the microphone, which hopefully will work to you. <laughs> in, um, yeah, look at that. In verse, it says that because Ajamila chanted Narayan, he remembered Narayan. Yes. Does this mean that when we chant Hare Krishna, we automatically remember Hare Krishna? Oh, what a question. That's a very good question. I'm so happy you asked that question, and I'm happy I ended early. 
Let's see if we can answer this briefly. So you said the Acharyas say, as Prabhupada's saying here, actually Prabhupada puts it into the verse, which is interesting. Many times Prabhupada puts explanatory information into the verse that's not that's not originally in the Sanskrit. That he called his son, but in calling his son, he remembered Narayana, who he had worshipped as a child. One would also assume that a reason he named his son Narayana was because he remembered Narayana. Why would he name his son that? There's a story actually, one side One side But still, there was some connection, yeah, between his child. So Prabhupada does say many, many, many places, and I don't even have my phone here to pull up my quotes, so. uh, But if you want, I can send you a list of quotes. And Prabhupada says many places, many places, as soon as you chant the Hare Krishna mantra, you immediately remember Krishna. His name, his form, his qualities, his pastimes. There's a number of places where Prabhupada says, as soon as you chant Hare Krishna, at least you can remember the Bhagavad Gita, which I always find interesting. That Prabhupada assumes that when we're chanting Hare Krishna, we remember the Bhagavad Gita. He'll say, you can remember the, you, you remember the picture of Krishna on the cover, driving the chariot Arjun, or you remember Krishna's instructions in the Bhagavad Gita. I remember when I gave that quote in a class once, so one of the devotees came up to me afterwards and said, for years my wife, when she chants Japa, remembers Bhagavad Gita verses, and I always told her this was nonsense and she should stop. And I said, well, Prabhupada says right here. Other times Prabhupada will say, as soon as you chant Hare Krishna, immediately you automatically feel the presence of Krishna. And by feeling the presence of Krishna, you remember Krishna's instructions in the Bhagavad Gita, he said. But I know of at least two places where Prabhupada said, if you don't automatically remember Krishna, then just try to hear the Maha Mantra. But my understanding is by doing that, eventually you will just remember Krishna. I see sometimes devotees try not to remember Krishna when they are chanting. Seriously. They actually make an effort not to remember Krishna when they are chanting. Because Prabhupada has said in, in two or three places to people, if you can't remember Krishna, just hear the sound of the mantra. And one of those cases was a devotee who came to Prabhupada and said, Prabhupada, when I am chanting, what should I do with my mind? And Prabhupada said, just chant it here. What is the question of mind? That was a conversation with one particular person. And I always took that. It's like if I said to you, Chaini Tegra, when I talk to you, what should I be thinking about? What a strange question. If I'm talking to you, I should be thinking about you. Right? I hope. I hope, right? Otherwise, if I'm talking to you, but I'm thinking, oh, I wonder what I'm going to have for breakfast. That's not a very nice conversation, is it? In fact, it's a little rude. So for someone to even ask Prabhupada, when I'm chanting Hare Krishna, what should I be thinking about? He just, what a question. What a question. Just here. 
Don't worry what you're thinking about. And people took that conversation and elevated it to, you know, some sort of eternal instruction for everybody. Just like I was giving the example the other day of when Krishna tells Arjuna, stand and fight. That's, that's not an instruction for everybody at all times. Nobody here is standing up. We're all sitting down. So see, and nobody's fighting. Terrible. Imagine, you come to the heart of Krishna movement. What do you do? We stand up and fight all day. <laughs> now, that's ridiculous. Now, understand what's a, a time, place, and circumstance, especially a conversation with one person. And there's one lecture. Woo, it's heavy. If I had my phone here, I'd play it for you. The Prabhupada says, when you chant Hare Krishna, really, you should remember. Again, he talks about Bhagavad Gita. This is Bhagavad Gita or Krishna's pastimes from Krishna book. And he says, if you don't, he says, then your chanting is neglectful, is inattentive. That is how Prabhupada, at least in that lecture, defines inattentive chanting. Chanting without thinking of Krishna. He said, if you're chanting and you're thinking of something nonsense, it is useless. And you hear this and you go, Oh no. Then he has this long pause and he says, or it will take a long time. And he says, why are you reading, I'm not giving exact words, why are you reading Krishna book if you cannot remember Krishna book when you are chanting? He says, then it's neglectful. And again, he says, at least you should remember that Krishna is giving instructions on the Bhagavad Gita and Prabhupada says, oh, you're going to remember how Krishna's killing a demon and the coward boys are encouraging him to class. So, why don't we automatically remember Krishna when we're chanting is a good question, which maybe isn't your question, but perhaps it's somebody's question. And we talked about this the other day in the Bhagavad Gita class about identity. So, if when I'm chanting, I'm holding on to my false identity, then naturally my mind will be thinking about what I want my sochati and kanchati having to do with my false identity. Naturally. If I think, this is me, this is my family, these are my friends, this is my society, this is, then naturally I think about what I hope to get, what I worry about. Yes? In relation to that identity. And if we try to keep the false identity but stop the thoughts, it doesn't work very well. This doesn't work very well. If, if, I, if when I'm chanting, which is our meditation, Prabhupada says it's our smaranam time. Japa is not kirtanam, it's smaranam. If during our time of, of smaranam and in our time of kirtanam, our time in the in this kirtan and our time in japa, in Gayatri, if I hold on to my false identity and try to control my thoughts, I will fail. It won't work. I have to let go of the false identity and I have to hold on to a spiritual identity. It's the only way to do it. Because when I have a spiritual identity, then actually I'm concerned about Krishna and what he's doing. 
fighting material identity, I'm concerned about something else. Maybe related to Krishna, but in very indirectly. I might be concerned about, you know, oh, I got to drive to the flower market at 10 o'clock, and I wonder, oh, the last time I drove, there was no petrol in the van, and I had to go to the petrol station. That means I have to leave 10 minutes earlier, and I hope there's enough petrol to get to the station, and then I got to bring extra money for that. And, you know, we start thinking, I mean, that's somewhat related to Krishna, but it's not really. Now, one can, Prabhupada said in a talk in Geneva, Switzerland, that you can do mental archana while chanting Hare Krishna. He says there, chanting Hare Krishna means that you imagine, he used the word imagine, that you imagine within my heart I have placed a diamond throne and I am seating Krishna there and I am giving, bathing him with Ganga and Jamuna water and I am bringing him changing dress and ornaments. And Prabhupada also says in that lecture, it is not false, it is real. He says, you can imagine, and then he says, it is not false, it is real. So Prabhupada does talk about meditating on doing deity service during, during Kirtan. And of course, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, in his Bhajana Rahasya, identifies the parts of the Hare Krishna mantra with the eight parts of Krishna's day, the Astakalila Lila. So Bhaktivinoda writes about doing Astakalila Lila meditation enchanting as relating to the parts of the mantra. Interestingly enough, I don't know if this was a good idea or not, I'm kind of divided on whether or not this was a good idea, but at Bhaktivedanta Manor, the garden, the memorial garden for George Harrison is done according to Vajna Rahasya, meditation on the Hare Krishna mantra. So the mantra is broken up into eight parts, and each part is related to a certain time of Krishna's day, and a certain meditation on Krishna's day, and they also related to a certain song of George Harrison. And it's, the garden is like that. It took me about three times of visiting it before I realized that was what was going on. And I'm like, uh, this is kind of high stuff for a public garden about George Harrison. But and then if you, if you read the meditations of the meaning of the Maha Mantra, there's one by Bhakti Vinod that I'm aware of. I'm sure there's more I'm not aware of, but I'm aware of one by Bhakti Vinod, one by Jiva Goswami, and one really high, intimate one by Raghunath Das Goswami. So these, these great souls, they're meditating on various qualities and leelas with the mantra. And they have, I don't know how they do this, but they have a meditation for each word of the mantra. I mean, in kirtan that's possible, especially in kirtan it's possible, like the way Bhakti Vinod does it with two words of the mantra, but I don't know how you do that in japa with each word. I just, it's beyond my capability of even understanding theoretically exactly what, they, how, what that means for these, these, as they say, that is above my pay grade. But at least the principle of it that these that our acharyas are they're writing this down and they're distributing that this is their example of their meditation with the chanting of all. So I took ten minutes. Not so bad. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you so much. You're very welcome. The microphone can go back there. Can take a little journey and 
can. This is heavy. Thank you. Yes, Colonel. Yes. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm understand almost nothing of this. I'm thinking sometime for this topic. Okay. I have service like a garland. Make, make garland. Uh-huh. I, I just, every day same service, garland, garland, garland. He is more intensive, material world is more intensive. <laughs> this Golok only Give something, uh, give answer for my understanding. Uh, this is a little off the topic of the class. But, alright, just briefly. Prabhupada didn't so much like questions off the topic of the class because the problem. You, you last, before your class finished, you speak something for this little. I did another class. Yeah, yeah. But just briefly. So, if you read about, like, let's, let's say you read from the Acharyas, you'll read places where you'll read, you know, this Saki has this service, this Manjuri has this service, yeah? In some of the books of the Goswamis. So they may take, say, their service is to bring water. But if you also read the books in general, you'll see they're doing so many things. They're not only bringing water. You understand? So they do so many services all day, eternally, and they're all full of variety. Like Radharani doesn't cook the same thing twice. So they're full of variety. They have an infinite amount of variety of activities. Every, every transcendental day, who can understand what it means that there's days in Goloka when there's no time? I don't know. I don't have any idea what that means. I'm just repeating... There's no time, it's always the present. There's no past, there's no future, but there's Astakalila. So they have different services, infinite variety of services, but they also have a really special service that they like to do. This is my service. There may be some variety, you know, Purnamasi and Vrindadevi, they're organizing everything. And, you know, maybe they say, oh, today, decorate that forest and bring those cows over here and do this. And today we're going to arrange this pastime and that pastime. But no matter what happens, you have your particular... Oh, but I know. That's my service. I bring, I bring the water. I have this mind that I do. Not like that. It doesn't mean that's the only thing you do. Yes, that would be very boring. <laughs> Yes, Prabhu. Yes, can you pass the microphone? I just wanted uh, to write down something that you said that I liked very much and I didn't write everything. The first part was, it doesn't work to hold on the false identity and try to control the thoughts. It works. If you let go of the false identity, you hold your real identity. Even if it's in a general way. A guy was speaking to a devotee recently in Hungary. 
who told me that he made great strides in his japa just by meditating on, on the servant of my guru, on the servant of my guru, on the servant of my guru. So even if it's in a general way, like we quote, like to quote from Advaita Acharya, Chaitanya Dasa Mui, Chaitanya Dasa, Chaitanya Dasa Mui, Tanya Dasa Dasa. You know, when the mind starts going to this or that, instead of trying to stop the thoughts, change the identity. I'm a soul. You start thinking about your mother, your father, you know, oh, my mother's sick in the hospital, what will I do? I have no mother. I'm a soul. I'm a soul. Hare Krishna. Oh, and could then immediately, it's easy to think of Krishna, very naturally. I'm a part of Krishna. Take it to, like, and this is exactly what Krishna says, doesn't he? In the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Well, find it. Pretty sure it's in the sixth chapter. What's the number of the verse, actually? Okay, here we go. Yito yito nishchalati manas chanchalam astiram tatastato niyam yaita atmanyeva vasamnayat. This is text 26. From wherever the mind wanders due to its flickering and unsteady nature, one must certainly withdraw it and bring it back under the control of the self. So the point here is the self. And the text before, gradually, step by step, one should become situated in trance by means of intelligence sustained in full conviction. And thus the mind should be fixed on the self alone and should think of nothing else. And also there's a, in, in a 245 in the Bhagavad Gita where Krishna says, Nir yoga kshema atmavan. Be free from all anxieties for gain and safety and be situated in the self. And then what does he say in the ninth chapter? Text is it, I don't remember. 923, I think. Yoga Kshema Baham Yaham. So you put those, it was Narayani who, who, I think she's coming here soon, right? Today. And I'm missing her. Oh, that is so sad. I could know that. Then I'll get in trouble with them. Sorry. But thank you. I appreciate that. So it was Narayani who pointed that out to me that there's this. Symmetry, near yoga kshema abhavam and yoga kshema vaham yaham. Give up all anxiety for gain and safety and be established in the self because I'll take care of all your yoga kshema. So, where is the mind wandering to? The yoga kshema, that's where it's going to. Sochati kanchati. Just analyze for a minute. Where is my mind going? It's going to, oh, I want this thing. I ordered this thing in the mail. Will it come on time? Will I like it? Will I be happy I spent that money on it? Maybe I won't be. Maybe I won't like it. Then what will I do with it? That's a hankering. And then there's a lamenting. Oh, I didn't call him yesterday. I didn't do this. And I said this thing. And now this person's going to hate me. And what will I do? Right? It's all hankering. It's all worried about yoga kshema. Protecting what I have and getting what I lack. It's all what it's about. 
And so Krishna, the instruction is very clear. Come back to the self, come back to the self, come back to the self, come back to the self. Okay, the mind wanders, that's fine. Bring it back to the self. I am a soul, I am a soul. I am Krishna's servant. And when I'm chanting as a soul, then then it is naturally and automatically that I will think of Krishna. I mean, if you don't know anything about Krishna because it's your first five minutes in the Hare Krishna movement, then you just have to hear the sound of the mantra. But if you've read something in Krishna book and you've read the Bhagavatam and you've read the Chaitanya Charitamrita and you've seen the deity, many times Prabhupada will say, you're seeing the deity. Can't you remember the deity when you're chanting? It all comes to identity. You know, one time a devotee, Prabhupada asked a devotee, he said, well, what's the first thing you say to someone when you're preaching them? And they said that there is a God. Prabhupada said, no, first thing should be that you're not this body, that you're a soul. And if you look at Astanga Yoga, so if you look at the principles of Astanga Yoga, so the first is Yamiyam. So yam yam, that for us, you know, I'm following the four-related principles, I'm offering my food, I'm waking up early, I'm taking a bath. Then there's asana, so like Prabhupada said, sit properly. I mean, if you're sick, you may have to chant Hare Krishna lying in your bed if you're really sick. But pranayama, when we don't have to do the pranayama, but at least we should be relaxed. You know, just having relaxed breathing calms the mind. And then what is it? Prachitar. Prachitar means you let go of the, of the sense perception. It, especially when one lets go of this false identity. Then dharana. Dharana means to hold. Like giri dari. Dharana means to hold. Or um, dara also means the earth. That which holds, which sustains. So, Prachitar, you let go of the false identity. Dada, what do you hold? You're holding my, this is my real identity. For advanced devotees, they're holding their identity. I'm a cowherd boy, you know, I'm a gopi, I'm a peacock. For the people who haven't realized their specific identity, then at least I'm a soul. I'm a servant of my guru, I'm a servant of the deities, I'm a servant of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And this holding is gentle. So the examples given in the Buddhist tradition of holding, that it's like holding a bird. When you're holding a bird, you want to hold it strongly enough so that it doesn't fly away, but gently enough so you don't hurt it. I think of it like holding flowers, because I don't hold birds very often, but I hold flowers a lot. And, you know, every, almost every day, I pick flowers and I'm holding them to bring to my Takuji for puja. So you want to hold them so they don't fall, but you don't want to crush them. So when we're holding our spiritual identity, it should be like that. It, it shouldn't be this like, I am a soul. I am a soul. I remember one devotee telling me she couldn't chant attentive japa because it would give her a headache. And you know, you see people, they think that being attentive means doing this. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. That's like, I know, when you get a headache when you're finished with your job, you know? So it's, it's, a, it's a gentle hold. It's a gentle hold. That, you know, 
this concept that Krishna's giving that when there's a wandering, you bring it back, you bring it back, you bring it back, you bring it back. From there comes dhyana. Dhyana is a, is a flow that the remembrance and the meditation start to flow and samadhi is it's fully, naturally fixed. So that's the, the general process. So thank you very much for your hospitality here. Thank you.